everyone, welcome to Girl Code. Hello everybody. We're very excited about today's episode. We just finished interviewing Anita Alexander, who has such a crazy story to tell. It is absolutely mental. Like, Tinder swindler, move over champion, Dr. Paolo's in town. Dr. Paolo is in town. Ma- what is it, Paolo Macchiello? Mac- Macchiello, I don't know. Let's just not He's Italian. Yeah. We don't know how to pronounce his last name. Is he even Italian? Who knows? The lies continue. Oh, the web. But we won't give too much away about this story. Some of you may have heard it, some of you may have not heard it, but we heard the story and instantly we're just like, we have to get her on. Mm. Um, she does an amazing job at raising awareness, I think, um, especially, you know, we all saw Tinder Swindler. These things fucking happen. They do happen. And we were chatting about it at the start, but I think everyone, especially women in particular, mm. I think we all think like it's never going to happen to us. Yes. And we go into new relationships so blindsided. Yes, because we love love. Um, but yeah, we won't give away too much of what's actually happened, but I'm sure you guys can guess from this intro that there was a little bit of con con action yes con artist basically just the worst of the worst um but yeah we had an incredible chat with her her story is just like i don't know i we've heard it and we're just like on the edge of our seat still yes. like oh my god and she added some extra information in you know things that yeah. i haven't heard before so yeah yeah we hope you guys enjoy this episode and if you want to learn more about her then we'll of course leave all the links in the show notes down below yes Okay, let's go. Let Okay, let's, let's go. go. <laughs> well, we just want to give you the space to tell your story. So, if you want to just take, take it take it away. Take us back to the beginning. It's long, so I'll try to give you the abbreviated version. Um The details. Yeah, give us <laughs> give us the details. <laughs> um I mean, look, it started out as a beautiful love story, you know, almost like a fairy tale, and it turned into a total freaking nightmare. Um I was um, a very successful network television journalist, and I was doing a story about something called regenerative medicine, which is this very exciting field in medicine where they basically make new body parts in the lab, you know, so it's, I mean, just imagine if whatever was wrong with you, you could just go order a new (laughs) body part or, you know, replacement organ in the lab, and there was this doctor at the forefront of this field, Dr. Paolo Maccherini. He was this Italian surgeon. His nickname was the super surgeon. Um, very successful, charming, you know, attractive um, Italian doctor. And he was at the forefront of this field. So we start doing a story um, about the cases that he was doing. And what he was doing is he was putting artificial windpipes, the trachea, into patients surgically um, made out of plastic. Like he was literally putting a tube in their throat made out of the same plastic that like water bottles are made out of. Then he was using their stem cells. He would bathe this thing in stem cells and it, the stem cells were supposed to magically grow into this trachea and create a new new trachea. And this was very radical, very groundbreaking. And he's, so he's a pioneer. He's at the forefront of this field and everybody kind of like, he walks on water, you know, he's revered. And he works at the place in Sweden that gives the Nobel Prize in Medicine. Um, he was rumored to be in contention for a Nobel Prize himself. I mean, this guy, he was like the, the guy, you know, the man. Breakthrough, a report that a doctor has found a way to grow a new windpipe. Or hailing a surgical first that could offer new hope to others. I'm like sucked in already. Yeah. Like I can imagine you'd be like, it'd be, so, it'd be so easy. Yeah. <laughs> even just with that, right? You were, it was very easy, even not romantically to be enamored with him because you thought this guy was doing something really incredible and he seemed like he really cared about his patients and 
was really vested in moving medicine forward and helping mankind and, you know, um, was willing to take the risk of kind of being the pioneer in medicine who would, you know, brave frontiers and nobody else would. Um, so he was really admirable. And when I first found him, he was about to do surgery on this beautiful little Korean toddler. Her name was Hannah. She was um, two at the time, and she had been born with no windpipe at all. So she had spent her whole life in the hospital. Beautiful, beautiful little girl, you know, just like the most bubbly smile, so much personality. But she had this horrible life because she was kind of, you know, stuck in the hospital. And so he was, she was going to be the youngest person in the world to ever have one of these crazy transplants. So we started doing a story on her, and she was going to have her story in the U.S. So during the course of this story, I was also going through a very difficult time. My ex-husband, I'd been divorced for a few years, the father of our daughter was dying, unfortunately, of brain cancer. And so I was really vulnerable. I don't think I realized at the time quite how vulnerable. Right. Um, but so we're filming this, and I'm dealing with the personal thing at the same time, and he and I became really good friends. We just start talking, and he gives me just really wise advice, you know, on, because he's a doctor. He's dealt with patients that die all the time. And I'm asking him, how do I tell my daughter that her dad's going to die? And, you know, and he literally walked me through step by step what to tell her, how to tell her. And he was so kind. Well, and that was the thing that really made me kind of fall for him. He was so kind. And so I thought, this man cares so much about this little nine-year-old girl that he's never even met. And that's how it started. And then... During the course of that, we fell in love, um, and, and it was, he was, it was kind of hard not to fall for this guy, honestly. I mean, he, yeah. if you had a checklist. Yeah, <laughs> it honestly sounds like it. I'd be like, oh my God, surgeon, yeah. Nobel, yeah. like, caring for yeah. young children. Yeah. And then he had this, he had this soft, gentle voice, and he was very soothing, and he was, he just seemed, you know, and he spoke six or seven languages. He was sophisticated. He yeah. was worldly. I mean, there was nothing, not literally nothing wrong. So we start dating. Um, at the very beginning, he told me that he had been separated from his wife for a very long time. And they had two, two teenage children. And he lived in Barcelona, and she lived in Italy. So there was, and there was no reason to question that. You know, I'd seen other people had talked about his house in Barcelona. I knew that they lived separate lives. And he said that they had just never bothered to get divorced, partly for the kids' sake, but also because it's Italy, and they're Catholic, and they just you know, so it wasn't unusual. So some people think that I didn't know that he was still legally married, but I did at the beginning. And then he tells me that now that he's met me, he wants to get divorced and he's going to file for divorce. So I think he's filing for divorce and he's, it was like this whirlwind fairy tale movie kind of romance. The man was the most generous romantic person I've ever met in my life. I mean, it was romance on steroids everywhere. We, he paid for everything. Everywhere we went, it was dreamy, dream. the best champagne, the best everything. He, and not just me, my daughter, he took my daughter on all these trips around the world. He would always upgrade us to like the most, it was this lifestyle I'd never had before, the most expensive, most beautiful, everything. He would take groups of my friends out to dinner, like 20 friends, pay for everything. If, whatever his problem was, it wasn't money. You know, he, yeah. Yeah. he definitely wasn't after money. He, he was dripping money, you know, oozing money. And so... We, we, we start dating at the very, be right before we started dating, my, my daughter's, uh, my ex-husband passed away, um, sadly. So sorry. Thank you. Um, and I honestly, at the beginning, obviously nobody could ever fill her dad's shoes, but if anyone could step in and sort of be a good person to fill, you know, to somewhat fill those shoes, he certainly seemed like it. And he, 
he formed a really close bond with her too. I was just reading the other day these texts, you know, where she's saying I love you to him and he got really close to her as well. Yeah, and so anyway, during the, during the we're dating we're, um, and he proposes not about eight months in, I think it wasn't that long in. That's still a bit of that's still that's, a bit of a chunk of time. Yeah, yes. it was fast, but not like overnight yeah. fast. Yeah. <laughs> and a really simple, beautiful proposal. You know, it was just me and my daughter at Christmas, and he just, you know, I had no idea he was about to propose, and I opened a box that I thought was just a gift, and it was this beautiful ring, and it Stop seemed it. so genuine, you know, and just simple, and for for because he was always doing everything so over the top, and it was so sweet and genuine. And he said at the time, we have to wait until my divorce is final. So um, we did. We, we, we got engaged, but we, we didn't really tell anyone other than close family. And then I think it was about eight months later, he, he, he was in and out of New York all the time because he was um, working all over the world, and he was doing a clinical trial in Russia. He was always traveling. And he came back and said, you know, my, my, he took me out one night, took me to this beautiful dinner on a boat, gave me another ring and told me, you know, my divorce is final, you know, it's official now, <laughs> we can get married. Another ring. Another ring. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. No, this, he knew, he knew what, you know, and I'm telling you, anybody, anybody that was, spent time with us would tell you that man was head over heels crazy in love with me. He, he doted on me. He doted on my daughter. He doted on my friends. And you would never imagine that he wasn't in love with me. They're, to this day, there are still friends of mine that are like, there's, there's no way that man wasn't in love with you. There's just no way. And they said, I would come home from these trips. He was always flying me all over the world. And people would be waiting on the edge of their seat. Like, what did he do now? What did he do now? Because his surprises were so crazy all the time. And all my friends, all of them, men, women, you know, gay, straight, everybody said, we want what you have. You know, how do we get that? You know? Um, Sounds like the fairy tale. It does. I know, which probably should have been my first clue, right? If it if it seems too good to be true. So then, where things get crazy is so we're we're engaged, and he's Italian and he's Catholic, and he tells me he wants a big Catholic wedding, and I said, well, how's that going to work? You know, where I'm not Catholic, but I know that's going to be a problem because we're both divorced, or I thought we were both divorced, and he said, you know, don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to go to Italy and find a priest that will marry us, and. Um, the other thing, before it got to this point, he, he flew me and my daughter to Italy to meet his mother. We met his mother. We sat in the kitchen with his mother. She cooked a homemade meal for us. She pulled out all the family albums. His um, sister's daughter was going to be one of our flower girls. I mean, I, it wasn't like he you know, wasn't into the family. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then he says he's having trouble finding a priest. And I said, you know, what are we going to do? And he said, well, I'm going to go and talk to my contacts in Rome. And he said he was going to the Vatican, which sounded insane. <laughs> exactly. Like, BRB, I'm just going to pop down to the Vatican real quick. <laughs> Someone will marry us there. It sounded crazy, but, and this is a big but, and I get why people go, okay, come on, really? But first of all, he's Italian. He's a leading cardiothoracic surgeon. I had seen paperwork actually talking about the work he'd done at the Vatican, which made sense. He's a leading cardiothoracic surgeon. Why wouldn't he do work at the Vatican? And if anyone was going to do it, why not, why not him, right? And he goes to this meeting and he tells me he's just going to ask them for help finding a priest that'll marry us. Fine. And then he calls me afterwards and he said, I need you to sit down. Um, I have good news. And he said, I they're going to help us. And I said, great. And he said, and you're not going to believe this, but Pope Francis has offered to marry us himself. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Except that I was like, oh, BS. Come on. What the hell? Really? See, I'd believe it. I'd be like, 
amazing. <laughs> I'd be like, let's go wedding be, dress shopping. I would be in shock. I'd be like, what? I'm confused. <laughs> I wouldn't believe anything. I'd be like, sweet. <laughs> I'm like, the Pope doesn't freaking marry people. I hung up on him. I was really pissed at him, actually. But then I went to my desk. The first thing I did was go back to my desk at work and Google literally does the Pope marry people. And the Pope does sometimes marry people. People think he doesn't, but he does. And he had just married, that was 2014. He had just married like 20 couples. Um, at the Vatican, couples who were quote unquote living in sin, you know, who were divorced or whatever. So this was not out of the question at all. And then Paolo told me that he had been quietly, secretly, for many years, the Pope's private personal doctor, which also sounds somewhat crazy, except that people like this, celebrities, world leaders, they do have private doctors because they don't want the whole world knowing everything, right? About their personal health. So, and also, it wasn't like he just, we got engaged and then he's like, boom, the Pope is marrying us. This was over months and months and after months of trying to find a priest that was going to marry us. So then he convinces me that, because I said to him, I mean, I work in TV and news. I said, do you realize how huge this will be if this actually happens? I mean, the the Pope marrying two sort of regular civilians, it's going to be groundbreaking, you know, and divorcees will be big news. And I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. And he kind of convinced me over the course of a few days that it wasn't even about us anymore. It was kind of an obligation that we were, be, we were being given a chance because of who he was to open up the doors of the Catholic Church, you know, to help move Pope Francis's progressive agenda forward and help open the doors of the Catholic Church to married people and gays. And so he kind of presented it to me like it was an, obli- you know, an opportunity or an obligation and that we should do this. And this fit with the kind of work I thought he was doing, that he was trying to help mankind and Haida. And I was, I was now lumped in with him that, okay, now you have a chance to, to do something bigger than us. So that's how it, it all sort of evolved. And he was very clever because he said, everything has to be top secret. You can't tell anyone except your closest family. Very clever, sneaky. It's <laughs> very clever. And this, so much so that people that did know anything about the wedding, like the people that made the invitations, I mean, we had, invita- we had an invitation made out to the, to the Pope. They all had to sign non-disclosure agreements that said that they wouldn't, you know, it was all hush-hush, top secret. The people that made my dresses, they had to sign the same agreement. So very few people knew. What people did know is that we were having this big, lavish wedding in Italy, and they knew that it was going to be sort of celebrity-studded and that there was something going on because there was all this codes on the invitation and you had to have a passcode to get into the wedding and all this. But then what happens is now that he says the Pope is marrying us, every other month or every other week, now he's adding a new celebrity guest or world leader that's coming to the wedding because because the Pope is marrying us and it's going to be so groundbreaking. He had, it started with, I'm trying to remember how this went, Andrea Bocelli was singing in the church because he claimed Andrea Bocelli's mother, and, and, Andrea Bocelli lives near his mother and he claimed their mothers were friends. Elton John was playing the piano in the church. Um, Elton John was going to be performing. There were so many. Imagine how excited you'd be. I'd be like, this is, I'm a princess. What were your, what were your yeah. thoughts at the time? Like, what were you thinking about all of this? It was, but at the same time, it was so overwhelming and daunting. I mean, it got to the point and then it, cause all these world leaders were coming, you know, because he's, you know, this was going to be such a big statement. And so, you know, the Obamas, the Clintons, the Sarkozy's from France. I mean, he, he, everybody. And I kind of had a panic attack one day because I just said to him, I, I don't know if I can, you know, 
I don't, I don't know if I can handle this. And I don't know if I want the spotlight on me like this. And I don't, we can just go get married on a beach. You know, I don't need all this. I don't even want all this. And this was also very clever because I was, I was in tears actually. And I was in such a panic. And he, he knelt down on the floor next to me on the bed and held my hand and said, okay, well, you know, we'll call the whole thing off. If that's what you want, we can, we can go get married on a beach or whatever. And, but then I felt guilty, right? Because I, it was, you know, now I'm withdrawing from this thing where I'm supposed to be helping. I said, no, 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 I'll get it together. I'll do it. It's so crazy. I feel like it's master manipulation. Like. Oh, he is psychotic. Insane. So then, and the thing is, it wasn't just me that's buying into this, right? He sat in front of colleagues of mine, friends, family, talked in, in, in crazy, crazy detail about all the things that were going to happen. And, and he wanted to surprise me with everything, so I wasn't allowed to ask any questions. All he wanted me to do was find my dresses and get the invitations. I wasn't allowed to ask any questions about anything else. And that was also very clever, right? Because I'm very um, inquisitive as a reporter. And it was kind of killing me. It was really hard for me to do because I'm, I'm a little bit of a control freak as a producer. And I wanted to know things. But every time my friends kept saying to me, Benita, you know, for once, just let somebody else take over. For once, let somebody surprise you. You know he has amazing taste, right? You know... He, he spoils you all the time. Let him surprise you. Like, it's going to be amazing, which was just, in hindsight, was very clever. So I wasn't, you know, questions I might have asked, I was forcing myself not to ask. And this thing goes so far. He's, he's telling friends all kinds of crazy details about the surprises. So we have 300-plus people coming to this wedding from all over the world. Invitations go out. People buy plane tickets, people book hotels. He sits in front of groups of people and talks about this castle he's rented out for all my closest friends and family to stay in for three days. He lets people buy, you know, people are buying like red carpet gowns because the wedding becomes this whole weekend of events, right? There's a, there's a thing Friday night where Elton John is performing. There's a thing Thursday night. There's a, you know, I needed, I think I, in the end I had five dresses and I'm paying for those dresses. That was the only thing I was spending money on and, and the invitations because he wanted me to pick the invitations and he said, I'll pay you back later. Now, I had no reason to think he wouldn't pay me back, right? I mean, based on the way he spent money. And the big thing was we were supposed to move to his house in Barcelona after the wedding, so I quit my job. And I, I mean, I had worked at the, in network television for over a decade. I never, I never would have quit a job for a man, you know, ever, you know, but I thought... We were riding off into the sunset to live this beautiful life in Barcelona. Hi, my love. I um, <laughs> was thinking while you were sleeping, isn't it incredible that uh, next week we are almost uh, going to visit, well, almost, we are, actually, to visit uh, the place where we will marry? <laughs> Just at the idea. I'm smiling, I'm happy, I'm, I'm in love with you. And he sat in front of my daughter, which is a killer in hindsight, which makes me so angry, and talked to her about the school he enrolled her in, in Barcelona, and the life she's going to have in Barcelona. So we think it's this beautiful fairy tale, right? We were supposed to get married July 11th, 2015, and I quit my job, and I think it was a day after I quit my job, um, group of my girlfriends took me to a spa um, just because they knew it was hard for me to leave, leave my job. And, and we come out of, you know, just two hours of no phones and kind of laughing and giggling. And I, I 
pick up my phone and I have a text that says from somebody at work that says urgent the Pope or something like that and I opened it and it was a link to an article showing that the Pope wasn't even going to be in Italy on the date of our wedding. He was going to be in South America and that this trip had been planned for a very long time. And somehow when I read that text, you know, I, I just knew. I, I felt, I almost fell over. I felt sick, like somebody punched me in the stomach. I didn't, I didn't even begin to understand the extent of it, but in, in that second, I knew he was lying to me. Tell and something in you can always tell. Like, women's intuition is just next level. Just, it is, and I think there were probably little things that I ignored, I think, in hindsight, and with all, and it's always 2020 hindsight. We always do. You know, when that red flag is nagging at your stomach, you need to pay attention to it. But so when it, so when it ends up happening is I wake up out of my love haze, go into full-on investigative mode, put my journalist hat back on. I hired a private investigator. I didn't tell him any of this because I just wanted to find out. I kind of started playing a cat and mouse game with him that I wanted to find out exactly what was going on here and before I confronted him. Luckily and kind of weirdly, at the time he was being investigated at Karolinska, the place that gives a Nobel Prize in Medicine for scientific misconduct. I knew that and he had been telling me that he, it was jealous colleagues, that when you're at the forefront of your career and profession, people want to take you down, which makes sense. And he had been dealing with this for a few months, but it was really kind of boiling over and getting kind of intense. And he was really stressed. Um, and so I called off the wedding. I said, listen, you're too stressed. You know, we can't get married right now. And that's when I sent out an email to all our guests. That's what I said. I said, you know, due to unforeseen, unfortunate circumstances, you know, we're so sorry, blah, blah, blah. And anyone that Googled him at the time would, would see what was going on. So we figured people would just think it was because of that. He must have been so relieved when I called the wedding <laughs> off. I mean... And this was only six weeks before the wedding. So I also wanted to go to Europe and do my own investigating. I, you know, I wanted to get all the answers. And so on the day that was supposed to be my wedding, I actually flew to Italy um, because I asked, I asked a few girlfriends. I, I mean, a lot of people, it was so close to the wedding that a lot of people couldn't cancel their plans. And so I just said, you know what, let's make this into kind of a, the ultimate girls trip um, and also an investigative you know trip. Me. Um, <laughs> And kind of an FU mission at the same time, because I was like, you know, screw you. Now I'm lying to him, right? So he thinks, he knows I nice. canceled the wedding, and I tell him that I'm so upset about the canceled wedding that I'm going away with some girlfriends for the weekend for the wedding. So he doesn't even know I'm in Europe. He tells me he's in Russia. And I go, I go to Europe. By then, I already knew that um, he wasn't really divorced. He never got divorced, so he never could have legally married me in the first place. Everything, and I mean everything, about the wedding was a lie. Literally everything. He, he said all these places were booked, and the, this caterer he'd paid, you know, millions, I think, of dollars to. Everything was a freaking lie. None of it. It was all some sick <gasps> fantasy in his head. Literally nothing was real. It, it was crazy. Of course he didn't know the Pope. Of course he wasn't the Pope's personal doctor. They, the, they you know, they laughed. Um, all these celebrities that he said he was friends with and that he invited, he didn't know any of them. I mean, the man, he, the, these invitations we had were these really thick, gorgeous boxes because it was this very elaborate invitation. It was wrapped in lambskin leather. He left my house one day with this, because he said the celebrities were so important he was gonna hand deliver the invitations. Oh, he left course. my house one day with a bag of invitations 
I'd love to know where those things ended up. They must have gone in some garbage can somewhere. <laughs> so he's he's still married. Can't he never could have married me in the first place. He's lying about everything. It's some like sick fantasy in his head. So I mean, right there is bad enough, right? He's he's let me quit my job. He's let me pull my daughter out of her private school. He's let people buy plane tickets and you know all this stuff for a wedding that's never gonna happen. And then the worst part was I went to um, Barcelona, his house in Barcelona, because he, he had flown me all over the world. So many beautiful trips. I mean, Greece, Mexico, Russia, Turkey, so many places. He never took me to Barcelona. Every time we were supposed to go to Barcelona, he had an emergency surgery and the, and the trip got canceled at the last minute. We had been fighting about it a lot right before the wedding because I said, nobody marries somebody without seeing the man's house or seeing where they're gonna live. He had sent me plenty of videos of the house, walking around the house, showing me everything, pictures, but he, I had never been there. So I knew something was hiding in that house, you know? Um, I didn't know what it was, but I knew, it, I knew the answer I really needed was in that house. So he doesn't know I'm in Europe. He also doesn't know I have the address to the house because when I started investigating, he, <laughs> idiot, he gave me an address for people to send wedding gifts to. It was a bogus address. Leave. He is so insane. He didn't even want gifts. Like he just, he just was just trying to. Like, like what what's he, what's the motive? Like at the very least, he didn't even want wedding gifts. Yeah. Like I'm just so confused. I know, it's cra The whole thing's crazy. And then, so I he doesn't know I have the address. I find the address and nice. Yeah, I go. I it was funny. It was kind of a you know I got this crazy blonde wig that I put on because I wanted I didn't know what I was gonna find and I wanted to disguise myself and epic fully expected to find another woman there at that point you know I just okay. I was prepared for that and it was my two two of my best friends went with me actually one of them from Australia and uh -huh. would, yeah she had flown Lee had flown all the way in from Australia for the wedding so I bet she's a legend yeah she is. <laughs> she's she's amazing <laughs> So we, we go and we're so nervous because we don't know what we're going to find, right? And we, he lives at the top of this hill, so you have to sort of drive up this windy hill. It's a little bit outside Barcelona by the sea. And when we first get there, I had decided I was going to stay in the car and send my friends down to knock on the door just to sort of do some initial, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, reconnaissance and see what was going on. Mm -hmm. And first, you know, so I'm watching from up on the t hill in the car. I can't hear right? But I can see and I'm taping on my phone just to keep a record of what happens. And first of all, he comes down the damn stairs. So, you know, he's not in Russia. So I'm already screaming and swearing in the car because he's not in Russia. And then I can see my friends talking to him. And then I see a woman walk across the balcony. And it's not his, it's not his Italian wife because I know ex I have pictures of the Italian wife. It's another woman, much younger, and two little kids that are calling him dad. So, oh my gosh. yeah. So in this house in Barcelona, where I'm supposed to be moving that weekend with my daughter, he's hiding a whole other family. Not the family that he hasn't gotten divorced from, a whole nother effing family. Oh my God, I lost it, yeah. And the kids too. The kids, yeah. Oh. What was going through your mind in that moment? Like, were you seeing red or were you sad? What, how are you feeling? The videotape or you know, the audio of me, I'm, I'm screaming, swearing, but I'm also just, I always say I'm wailing. I'm not even crying, I'm wailing. I'm just sobbing and mm. I'm just so, because it was, 
I, I just never expected that, not children. I didn't expect children. And once I saw the children, a lot of people asked me why I didn't march down and confront him, but we, and we were all moms, and I just, there was no way I was gonna make a scene in front of those little kids. You know, that's not, no. not their problem. And I was, I think I was just in shock. I mean, it had been so many lies. You know, it was one thing after the other, and then that, for, that just really hit me because that was a house that was my house, basically. You know, that was my house that mm. I thought I was moving into, that he told my daughter she was moving into. And so I was absolutely distraught, but also furious, you know, furious beyond words that, you, you know, how the hell do you do that? Why, who, how, who the hell does that? And my daughter, you know, to sit in front of a little girl whose dad just died, you know, you, you saunter in on your fake white horse saying you're going to take care of us and you love us and the whole damn time you're lying like everything coming out of your mouth is a lie and, and to sit in front of a little girl that you claim to care so much about and whose dad just died and lie to her I'm sorry you know that's mm. unforgivable and I was enraged I was enraged oh makes me feel sick yeah. just thinking about it I can't even comprehend what must have been going through your mind I mean it's so hard to wrap your head around right it's so shocking like who yeah. who the hell would lie like that and then the you know why why for what for what reason and what the hell did you think was going to happen when 300 people showed up in Italy <laughs> like how are you how are you going to get out of this that is, one you know that's what I don't understand is like what what was the point of it all like what do you think was the motive I don't know. I, I, I've given a lot of thought to that, and I, I tell women now all the time, don't drive yourself crazy trying to figure out a crazy person because, you know, there aren't really any answers. But And, and so many of these con artists are after money, you know, like the, the guy that's a, mm. in the star of the Tinder Swindler now that's so big on Netflix. Yeah. I mean, that's the typical con, that. right? They, they want money, mm. and they're stealing money from one woman in order to finance the life of the next woman. Money was not his motive. Um, I did lose money on the wedding, but um, money was not his motive. So I can only think, and especially somebody of his stature. I mean, you work at the place that gives the Nobel Prize in medicine. You're a world-renowned surgeon. Why in the hell would you do this? Uh, I mean, I can't diagnose him. Obviously, I'm not an expert. I think he's a sociopath. Mm. And I think Has to be. the thrill, it must be the rush of it, the thrill of getting mm. away with it. Kind of like, I, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, Catch Me If You Can, with Leonardo DiCaprio. I have. Yeah. yeah, he's he's a character like that. They just, I think, they just think they're, A, they think they're going to get away with it, um, mm -hmm. and it's the rush and the thrill, and I guess because I was this big network investigative producer, and he probably was just going one foot in front of the other, and like, oh, they yeah. believe that, and then I think it's like a runaway train. I think it got away from him, and he didn't know how the hell to get out of it, but I have no idea what was going through that man's head. I mean, it just, none of it makes any sense so what happened when your friends got to the front door do you know what they said to him or what he said back to them he my girlfriend's so funny she I can't do what she does but she does this thing with her eyes like his eyeballs were zipping back and forth like a million eyes and <laughs> miles an hour because she said he was trying to calculate the lies she said he looked horrified when he saw them mm. and he had met Nancy my friend Nancy before and he was just he's normally very cool and calm and collected and he was kind of stumbling over himself trying to you know, and they played it off as, hey, we just wanted to come and say hi. We're, you know, we were in town for the wedding anyway. And they kept saying the wedding on purpose. And that was even before they saw the woman, um, just in case somebody else in the house was lis listening. And they had, they got a cheap bottle of wine and they handed it to him as a gift. That was kind of our plan. And they, yeah. <laughs> they tried to engage him in conversation, but he just wanted them the hell out of there. 
first of all, right off the bat, even before you see the woman, you know something's wrong. He doesn't, he supposedly is, you know, we're, supposedly he and I are still together at that point. He doesn't ask about me. My best friend shows up mm-hmm. on your doorstep and you don't ask about me or where I am. He doesn't ask them in for, you know, a coffee or a cup of tea or whatever. He just is like, where's your car and how'd you get here and when are you leaving? And, you know, he just wanted them the like, hell out of there. Yeah. <laughs> I can't come up with a lie quick enough. I need you to go. I'm just on my next flight to Russia. I'm running late from the airport. So I'm like, what the hell? You still on your Concord, you know, this morning or something? I just got here. <laughs> I just got back. I, I have a private um, airstrip in my backyard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, I think he was just caught, I think, at that point. And that was confirmed when so about an hour later after I stopped crying and everything I wrote him this very long text you know telling him everything I knew and calling him telling exactly what I thought of him and he literally wrote back one word what was it wow whenever men get caught in a lie they go wow 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 yeah that's all he had to say just just wow have you spoken to him since did you reply back to the wow I think I did reply a little bit and um, sent him a big fuck you. <laughs> I made a I made a film about well just just to backtrack for a second they they it wasn't just the personal stuff right all of this was so devastating but what hit me hmm. immediately even though I was so devastated and so embarrassed quite frankly this is so humiliating I mean mm-hmm. I'm it's like the first thing in your head is how in the hell did this happen to me you know how how did I get duped how did I believe this and you kind of want to just hide under the bed, you know, and stay there. Um, But my first thought was, oh, my God, if he's lying to me like this and telling these, I mean, these are insane lies. You know, you're talking about the Pope and this wedding that's never going to happen and, you know, on and on and on. If he's lying to me, he must be lying in his medical life, right? There's, There's no way you can be that pathological of a liar and not have it translate into other areas of of your life. And that was terrifying because that meant people were in danger. And so I felt like I, ha- I, I felt this urgency to, I have to go public, I have to tell my story and maybe I'm the only person that can expose him, right? And let the world know. Mm-hmm. I felt this urgent need to let the world know who this man really is. So I ended up going public pretty quickly within about six months. And mm-hmm. at the same time, this scathing documentary came out in Sweden, Sweden exposing all these problems in his medical and professional life. and. It turned out it's awful. He had put this artificial trachea into eight patients. Seven of them are dead. The only one that's still alive had the thing taken out. This thing didn't work. This thing, contrary to what he claimed about how the stem cells were integrating into the throat and making that work, this thing, it it was like a piece of plastic dislodged in these patients' throat. It was loose and it was rotting. And it's so horrible. The way the the families describe it at the end, they say the patient smelled like rotting flesh. I mean, he, and he didn't do, when you do something like this, you obviously, you have to do experiments on animals, right, in order to experiment on humans. He never did them. So he was using humans as guinea pigs. That is so. He definitely sounds like a psycho. So messed up. And so he ended up, obviously he got fired. There was a huge investigation. People at the people on the Nobel Prize Committee stepped down in shame. People at Karolinska stepped down in shame. I mean, so many people. You know, it's not just me. So many people, famous institutions, doctors, scientists. So many people were fooled by this man. He pulled the wool over so many people's eyes, and people died because of it. And that's. I mean, what happened to me is nothing in comparison. It's horrible. It's so horrible. So he's actually 
about to go to trial. He's going to trial in Sweden in April. Are you going to go? I am. Revenge dress, yeah. have your moment, sit in the front row. On the stand, literally, F you. What? That's crazy. Actually happens. I, I, I just, I can't even comprehend. Like, this story is so freaking insane. Questions. Mm. Have some. Mm. I want to know what happened when he met his mom. Did you get any? She was the sweetest, sweetest little woman. She she cooked this homemade gnocchi for us, and we came in, and she had oh. it all laid out on the table. But she didn't speak a word of English. Of course. Again, convenience. Yes. <laughs> so in hindsight, and she's pulling out the photo albums. She hugged us when we left. She cried. She hugged my daughter, and she cried. I don't know what the hell he told that woman. All I can think of is maybe I, we were his patients. Maybe I was dying. Maybe my daughter was dying. That's why she, the poor woman was crying. I, who knows what the hell he told that woman? I have no idea. The only thing that's weird about that is I'm, I'm a very kind of touchy-feely person. And I was, you know, it's not like we were kissing in front of her, but we were, you know, definitely embracing and touching. And yeah. I don't know what he told her. Unless, unless, like I said, I was dying. And he's like, I feel so sorry for her. I don't He's like, she's got dementia. She thinks that like I'm her husband. She's crazy, yeah. but it's her, it's her last hour to live, and she wants your nookie. I honestly like, like wouldn't be surprised though. The lies that he's telling like would not shock me. What about? Did you ever meet any of his friends? A few, not a lot. Um, okay. okay. That also kind of made sense because of the lifestyle he had, because he was True. working in Sweden and in Italy and Russia, and he was all over the place. But yeah, I did meet some. There was a doctor in Turkey. We, when I went to Turkey, we went out to dinner with the doctor and his wife. You know, there was another person in Italy. I mean, probably those people at the time also didn't know, you know, the extent of his lies. He was a very well-regarded, highly regarded world worldwide this this surgeon mm. so um i talked to his sister on the phone now i wonder if that was really his sister or was it somebody else oh my god what the lies keep getting deeper and deeper his sister sent me emails about his daughter her daughter being the flower girl and now i'm thinking was that him oh my god like on catfish you know how they always have like extra profiles yeah. to like boost their story exactly was he on social media no Whoa. yeah Ew, oh, he makes me feel sick. He makes me feel sick. That's if he ever comes sick. into Australia, it's on site. Oh, my daughter's so funny. She says so. She has two. She has two things she tells people. She says, yeah. "Mom, I like to. I tell people you dated a serial killer." I'm like, "Oh God!" <laughs> but technically, <laughs> pretty much, pretty much, right? Technically, seven out of eight patients are dead. So that's kind of her dark, twisted humor. But also, she's she's always she said from the beginning, she's like, "Mom, if I ever see him, it's on. I'm decking him. Yeah, I'm punching the man. We'll support her. Yeah, Caitlin <laughs> and I will be behind her, like ready to give backup. Like <gasps> this guy sounds like an actual psycho. Uh, I just like my jaw is on the floor again. There's right. no. It just doesn't make any sense, right? Why? I still don't understand. I still don't understand. Other than the thrill. Oh, there was another thing that happened. I always forget about this. This was this is creepy. Before I went to um, Italy and I found the family in the house in Barcelona, before I went to Europe, I had, when I was first trying to figure everything out, I was so upset and I kept saying to him, you have to fly to New York because I kept saying to him, you're lying to me, you're lying to me. And he kept, no, no, he was denying everything. And he had all these excuses about the stuff at the Vatican. He claimed that um, because it was so controversial that the, the old pope, the old living pope, had, who was very conservative, had intervened to stop the pope from being able to marry us. And it was like internal Vatican politics. And yeah, oh he had gosh. all the answers. 
And I kept saying, <laughs> come and look, fly out, fly here. I need you to come and look me in the eye and tell me you're not lying to me because I don't believe you anymore. And he mm. came one weekend um, between the time that I first found out and, and when I, I saw him again in Barcelona. The thing is now in hindsight, he had that whole plane ride, right? To think about what he was going to say to me because I had demanded, come here and look me in the eye. When that man walked in here, I was screaming. It would make the craziest scene in a movie. I, I was pacing the apartment. I was, it was like 10 o'clock in the morning. I was slugging champagne because I was so nervous. And I had a bottle of champagne in my hand, like this fancy bottle of champagne somebody had given us for the wedding. And he walked in and I just screaming, yeah, this not true, that not true. And he's calm as can be. He's unflappable. He doesn't calm and cool and collected. And he just, he just kept saying, calm down, my love, calm down. I'm like, I'm not going to effing calm down. But the thing about that conversation that really creeped me out, at one point he was trying to get me to calm down and he, he kind of pushed me up, not pushed me, but he had me up against the, the fridge and, and I just looked at him and I said, why did you pick me? You know, I'm a journalist. At some point I was going to wake up. At some point I was going to wake up and out of my love haze or whatever and start asking questions. And he kind of cocked his head and he, he got this little laugh and he looked at me and he said, I know, that's why I love you so much. That sounds like to me, it's like the thrill, like he just yeah. enjoyed. And like, because maybe I, I'm just guessing he's probably done this before but you would be to him like quite a challenge yes. he's like if I can like she's an investigative journalist like here we go let's well see respected how far New York City you like know. good time like, like the thrill yeah. of like each time each little lie he would have just been like like right that's so fucked it's so fucked up sorry I, I didn't know if I was allowed to swear because a- oh no you can we're Australian we're, we're <laughs> Aussies <laughs> I originally so I swear like all the time yeah yeah right you're from Perth you said I was born in Perth oh my God, ha- sorry so segue cool. yeah how long did you live in Australia for I, I left when I was 11 so yeah right okay that's yeah. still a decent amount of yeah. time all my family except my immediate family is still there so Oh, I have another question. I, cause we listened to another episode that you did. You mentioned the piano and I just found that extremely creepy. Please tell the story. So he, uh, along with everything else for this wedding, he said that he was going to, um, he would reveal, he couldn't help himself. He was kind of like a little schoolboy. He was supposed to surprise me with everything, but every once in a while he'd tell me something. And he told me that he was going to play piano for me at the wedding and that he hadn't played piano since he was a little boy and he was relearning the piano just to play for me at the wedding. So I bought him this keyboard, this like Casio keyboard, so that he could practice while he was here in New York. And he would play here, the piano was over here, and, but he would always play with headphones on because he didn't want me to hear what he was playing. And so I never heard him, but I saw him there for hours, hours he would sit at this piano. And after I got back from Europe, after I found the damn family in that house, I wanted to get rid of everything in here that had anything to do with him. So I put the piano up for sale on, on Craigslist. Um, I don't know if you guys have that in Australia, but it's a place where you can, you can sell stuff. Yeah. And the funny thing about that story, the, the person that answered, um, I thought it was a man, right? So I'm so nervous at this point. I don't want anyone in this apartment. So I dragged the thing out into the hallway. And I go downstairs and this lovely woman walks in. I'm like, who are you? And she's like, I'm here to buy the piano. She, Cause she has a name that I don't want to say her name cause she's like stay private. But, um, and she and I just kind of hit it off. You know, I liked her immediately and she's a neuro, <clears throat> sorry, she's a neuroscientist. And I'm like, oh, that's ironic. This guy was a surgeon and a scientist. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of told her a little bit about the story but not much. So she takes the piano and then we just because we hit it off you know i invited her to a party and we became very good friends and she's actually i'm now the 
godmother to her nine-month-old baby. Yeah, it's my goddaughter. So crazy how this happens. At least something good came out of this Yeah. Oh, yeah. But so we were on vacation about, I don't know, maybe six months after after this. And and she's very polite and proper English. And she's like, Benita, I have to tell you something. And I said, what? And she said, you know that piano can play itself. And I said, what do you mean it can play itself? She's like, it has pre-recorded music on it. It can play itself. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Is, is that a fucking lie too? So then I went back. Oh, I had oh videotaped my. him. I would sometimes come around the corner quietly and videotape him on my cell phone without telling him. And I, I never paid any attention to these clips. I just wanted video of him playing the piano. I go back and look at one of these damn clips of him playing the piano. Literally in the middle of playing the piano, and I didn't see this because I wasn't paying attention, he picks his hands up off the keyboard, the music is still playing, and he's dusting the top of the damn piano. So yeah, even the piano playing was fake. It's just too much at this point. It's too much. <laughs> what a freak! I know, right? What a weird. Total, total fraud. You know? yeah. What I don't also understand is I do like a like pretty like low key job like I'm mm. pretty and I can't even stay on top of my own personal life and it is so relaxed. How is he an actual lives and like handling all this stuff? I'm like I forget to like buy milk. Like I just don't fucking mm. understand. Like, did he have a book where he'd like write down all the lies? I know, right? Well, something my friends joke about all the time. He had like five phones, which we always teased him about. We're like, why the hell do you need so many phones? But one was, one was a U.S. phone for when he was here. He had a Russian phone. He had a, a Spanish phone, and he had a Swedish phone. I think there might have been one other, but he had at least four. And he would sit here sometimes with the four phones. My friends all thought, all made so much fun of him. Like, just put it all in one phone. And he's like, it's just easier. But now I think in hindsight, you know, because he spoke all these different languages that I don't speak, he was probably sitting right here in my damn kitchen talking to one of his other women in Spanish or whatever on that phone right in front of me. And I didn't even know. That is so twisted. So twisted. The the other thing, that weekend that he came here that I confronted him when I, that thing I told you about where he, you know, he cocked his head and said that he, that's why he, he loved me so much. I literally didn't sleep that weekend. Like literally, he was in my house for for two days and I couldn't wait for him to leave because I know at that point that he's a total fraud and he's lying about everything. I don't know everything yet. He slept like a rock. How do you live with yourself? I I just, I can't even. Mm. I don't think their brains, I honestly don't think their brains work the same way we do. They have. They can't. No. The things that make us, you know, have remorse or guilt or empathy or, you know, a whole mm. host of other things. It's like it's like that part of their brain is just absolutely mm. just missing. They just don't they don't feel guilt. They don't feel remorse. They don't care. Wow. The really scary part is that he's actually a good doctor, according to people that have worked with him in the operating room. He's brilliant, mm-hmm. you know, and that's terrifying to me, you know. And that I think mm. that is why he was able to get away with it for so long, mm-hmm. you know. But what else, you know? And if he's if he's still practicing medicine, that terrifies me. You know, for the sake of his yeah. patients. Yeah. Yeah. Is he currently? He can. Yeah. He still has a medical license in Europe, which is insane. Wow. That is not well. Well, hopefully that's revoked in April, and he goes yeah, to we'll jail for tabs. a very long time. We'll be keeping tabs. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. And you have your own podcast, right? The Benita and the Barack. I can't even say it right. So it's you're supposed to roll your R's, which I can't do, like Baracas, something like that. It's a Colombian slang term that's um, for a resilient woman who's been through something difficult but still stands strong, which 
I just love this oh, word. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. So I, it's sort of a side effect of all this. I mean, I went public just to expose him and because I, mm-hmm. I was, for his patients, you know, and for the families of the patients, I just wanted to warn the world about who this man really is. But yeah. then once I went public, all these women started reaching out to me from all over the world thanking me, which I did not expect and was very humbling actually, but they were thanking me for being brave enough to tell my own story and saying that something similar happened to them, obviously not as nuts, but that they were too embarrassed and too humiliated to talk about it and that they felt stupid and alone and that hearing my story had made them feel less stupid and less alone. And I heard this so often that I realized, yeah. wow, we really, we, re- we need to talk about this, you know, this, because there's this yeah. culture yeah. of being shamed into silence, you know, because it is embarrassing and it is humiliating. And the, the victim shaming that goes on is insane it's insane and i still get that all the time you know the fact and the fact that you're mocking the victim who's who's the one that's been conned and who's trying Mm. to get over something difficult and in my case expose somebody who's killing people the fact that your response to that is to make fun of me or mock me or call me stupid or what that's sad actually it's actually sad if that's what you take Mm. out of my story that's sad um yeah. yeah my podcast is all about I'm first telling some more details of my own story because my story has been told many times, but then I'm going to be interviewing other women that have been through yeah. things yeah. like I have. Good on you. That's so amazing. Yeah, yeah, you'd be helping so many people. And exactly what you said, your first reaction would just be, oh my God, I don't want to tell anyone. This is so embarrassing. You know, like shut down and you'd blame yourself. I feel like that's what I would do. Mm. I'd be like, oh my fucking God. But what you're doing is like kind of, yeah, taking away that stigma and also warning so many other women and men that this can happen to like anyone. Like we saying, like no, you never think it's going to happen no to No one you. is too smart, too rich, too anything. No one think they won't be, but it's just yeah. these guys, I think what you have to remember with these comments is they're, they're master manipulators, right? They're, and yeah. they, are, they are criminals. They are not unlike mm-hmm. a serial killer. They target their prey. They tend to find yeah. people that are vulnerable for one reason or another. You know, it could be someone that came out of, you just got divorced or you came out of a bad relationship or you had a death in the family, whatever. There's something about you that makes you a little yeah. more vulnerable and a little more needy at the time to need to be, want to be loved. And that's not a crime. You know, it's not a crime to want to be loved, but it's like they know that. It's like they have a radar for vulnerability and they target you and then they are master men, you know, the gaslighting, the manipulating, the, they're, they make you feel like you're, if you start questioning things, they make you feel like you're crazy. You know, like that, that could oh. possibly be the case, you know, right? They're so Yeah, good. it's absolutely so twisted, but I'm so happy that you are sharing your story because you have probably saved just by telling people, potentially like hundreds of thousands of women, you know, from, definitely, you know, just making people a little bit more aware, like obviously... It can happen to anyone, but it was just it's definitely in the back of my mind. No, me too. Now I'm going to be like, yeah, background checks. I think it's and it's so simple, but it, it's so true. It sounds so cliche, but it's as women, you, you mentioned that earlier. Women tend to have really good intuition, but when we're mm-hmm. in love, we're kind of blinded by it. And we, we, oh we squash gosh. down those little red flags and that, that little nagging thing in your gut. And so I, I always say, if whatever it is, it doesn't mean you're going to end up in a situation like mine or some, if the guy's a total liar, but if you've got that little nagging thing in your gut, you just, you can't ignore it. You can't ignore it. Oh, I have the chills. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Wow. Have you, sorry, this might be a little bit personal, but have you found anyone since? Like, what are you, what are you doing now? Or are you just focusing on yourself? Is it hard to trust someone again? 
Yeah. For a while, I was, I didn't realize this until afterwards, but I was kind of choosing people that were safe and that I would never, I knew I would never fall in love with them, you know, and that way mm-hmm. I could never get hurt. Um, I'm, I'm just coming out of a relationship, a relationship like a year and four months, which was a, a lovely man, great relationship. It just didn't work for other reasons. So I'm definitely, and I always say that I'm not, I'm, I'm totally open to love. Um, I'm very much a diehard romantic and I still believe in love and I hope anyone that's been through anything like this, um, that would be the worst thing, right? If you allow the guy to, I was determined from the very beginning that yes, I was devastated and heartbroken and all these other things, but I wasn't gonna let him take that away from me and change the essence of who I am. Um, it was bad enough that he lied, right? I'm so, but yeah. sure as hell, I'm not gonna let him change who I am, so. Wow, do you know, I actually, it might've been you because we've been doing a lot of research lately listening to anything you've been on so I might be just re-quoting you or it could have been someone else I listened to but someone said recently on a podcast I was listening to that like manipulators and these kind of bad people choose the best victims and they choose people who have good hearts and they put other people before themselves and it's it's so true it's like they're not going to choose a selfish narcissist Mm. they're going to choose the best kind of loving beautiful people as their victim because they know that that's how they'll get you so it's like it's so shit but it's also like you're obviously a beautiful person (laughs) you know thank you I think that's true they do they know who that was interesting in hindsight actually with my friends and it was mostly men. Um, there was nobody that really suspected, how could you, you know, during the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But after the fact, there were a couple of, I'm gonna say three or four men I found out that just sort of had a visceral reaction to him and didn't like him. Like one of my best friends got in a terrible argument with her husband, I, I guess after we were there for dinner. And he was like, I don't like that guy. And she's like, why? You know, like we're going to their wedding, why? And he couldn't articulate it, he just sent something. But there were certain people that Paolo kind of knew he couldn't play, you know, or couldn't play with. And then he kind of, he would sort of disregard them. He wouldn't even try to talk to them anymore. They they totally know who they can, you know, weave their shit on. It is, it's very criminal-like behavior. They're very adept manipulators, you know. And there are a lot of them out there. That's the scary thing. That's actually the scary thing. So I think you do have to be, you have to have your guard up and ask questions and, um, And also remember, it's not your fault. That's the most important thing, you know? Yeah. I think it helps to have your guard up, but you, yeah, the most important thing is to not let something like this take you down and not, and there are women I've heard from that are just absolutely, you know, devastated by it. And they don't, you know, they tell me they never want to um, go out with anyone ever again. And then, you know, kind of don't want to leave the house. And that's the worst thing. I don't want that to happen to anyone. You know, you, you can survive this, you know, you can. Yeah. You, you might not think you can, but you, you can. Um, and be stronger for it, you know. Wow, that was so nice. Thank you so much. We, we won't so keep much, you from, yeah. we won't take up any more of your time. This yeah, <laughs> this is incredible. It's so nice to finally, I feel like, meet you. Yeah, yeah we've been like stalking you for so long. It's like, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, thank you so much. Can you let everyone know, obviously, your podcast? What about your Instagram? Give us, give us some plugs. Um, I'm on TikTok and Instagram at LoveCond. You can put in my name, but it's at L-O-V-E-C-O-N-N-E-D. Um, especially on TikTok now, I'm putting out videos about warning signs and things to look out for. And I'm also telling my story in abbreviated little videos. Um, and then the podcast is on YouTube. Ooh. And yeah, and I want if anyone, if, you know, and even if it's just a talk, um, 
sometimes women reach out to me. Um, it doesn't mean that I want to tell your story publicly. Sometimes I talk to women and I actually advise them not to go public, you know, because there are good reasons sometimes not to talk with kids involved or whatever. Um, but it's, al it's always helpful to talk. And if you do have a story to tell, I think the more of us talk about this, um, it's just really important. It's important to, to spread awareness about this and let other women know. And, you know, even young, young women like yourselves and my daughter to just you know, sort of have, have the, the tools and the knowledge to protect yourselves <laughs> yeah. and to yeah. not be shamed into silence. I just don't, I, I really want to end that and I want to do whatever I can to end victim shaming. Um, I think victim, victim shaming is horrible. I still don't understand why people do that. That's not the point, you know, no different. Seriously. Well, we're absolutely going to be keeping up to date. April, what, do you know the date? Yeah, April 27th it starts, and all my media will be reporting from there too. So, Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So that was just an absolute whirlwind of a story. Are y'all on the edge of your seats? Because we are. I feel like I need to just have my guard up way more moving forward. Like, that's crazy that this can happen. And like we were saying, you never think it's going to happen to you until it does. I'm sorry, but... You guys, Google Google the man. He fucking sucks. But have a get some visuals mm. going. Maybe we'll put together like a little collage or something on our story. I don't know. Maybe not. Might be overcommitting. Um, but like he looks like a George Clooney type mm. guy. You can see how it could happen Silver so easily. Fox. Yeah. Like, you know, and he's actually a surgeon. Like that is all legit. If some man was out here when I was feeling vulnerable and laid this all onto me, you fucking best believe I'd be buying into it. Oh my it. gosh, completely. You can totally see how you can get so swept up in it yes. and overlook all the red flags. Especially yeah. if, you know, for me, like a con, I would think money. And if he's got money, I'd be yeah, like, well, obviously. he's not trying to take money. You no, know, like sometimes maybe I'd think they could be like having an affair, but I, I not to this level. Mm. I would nev never think someone could do this. Yeah. So fucked up. But now you guys know, so... So we'll just look out for each other. Yeah, stay woke, ladies. Everyone stay woke. But the story is super interesting. I'll put some more resources down below for like articles, um, like links and things like that if you are interested in learning some more. Or also if, story. you know, you happen to have experienced maybe something not on the same scale mm -hmm. of insanity. Um, but if you've ever, I don't know, experienced something similar, she does, like she was saying, she chats to women all the time and helps them out. So if you are after someone to talk to, then I feel like she'd be great to talk to. She's so cool. Yeah, she's really cool. We love her. Um, so anyways, we hope you guys have enjoyed this week's episode. As always, if you have, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and also Spotify now. It's super easy to do and it really helps us out and we really appreciate it. And we will see you. Uh, also, go to our TikTok. Oh, go to our TikTok. Sorry, I knew there was a plug. I'm that was out here stressing about our TikTok. Like go Maddie's, to our TikTok. Maddie's on IG duty, right? And I'm on TikTok duty. But like the significant difference in engagement between Instagram and TikTok. <laughs> Galen's like, please. It's also like the disparity between our Instagrams. Like it's so relevant. <laughs> I'm like, please just let me overtake Maddie in one thing. Like guys. You're like, please guys, everyone go spam this like, TikTok. If our TikTok can overtake followers on Instagram, like that would be 
No, truly, truly. I would, I would actually really love it's that. It's like Mitchell, but it's such a competition for me. I'm like, I must take over. <laughs> go blow yeah. up TikTok fam. No, please do. Everyone go blow up TikTok. And Instagram. All right. Um, yeah. You know what? Fuck the Instagram. <laughs> Everyone go and follow the Instagram. I'm kidding. All right. We'll have a wonderful weekend.